from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. Just a few weeks ago, we saw a softball Super Regional pit the Gators against an arch rival with a trip to the World Series hanging in the balance. And we'll get a bit of deja vu this weekend on the baseball side. Florida and Florida State will battle for the right to go to Omaha. And today we'll once again listen in on Jeff Cardozo's chat with head coach Kevin O'Sullivan. In addition, I'll preview the NCAA championships and upcoming Olympics with track and field head coach Mike Holloway, while GatorVision's Shelby Granath shines a light on some of the international Gators preparing to go to Rio. But first, after sweeping through the regional to get to this stage, Jeff Cardozo asked Sully to assess the team's performance in the opening weekend of the tournament. I'm pleased how we played this weekend. I thought it was really good to get Logan back out there on the first game against Bethune where he hasn't thrown in a while. And, you know, we played a very, very tough and talented UConn team. And I was very impressed with their starting pitcher. Actually, their Friday guy through the first game of freshman was very good too. And I was very, very impressed with him. Obviously, that Saturday game was kind of the flip game to where, you know, the region can go one way or the other where you got one more to win to move on or you have to win three. And it obviously makes it a lot more difficult if you lose that Saturday night game. And then obviously... You know, we, we turned to, to Sunday, and Alex threw about as good as he's thrown all year long and pitched on the motion, and the kids fed off of it, and it was a really good weekend. I thought Saturday and Sunday the offensive approaches were as focused and as good as we've had all year long. I just thought it was a really good weekend all, overall, and we've talked about this too, Jeff, is, is getting back. Pete was a huge, huge addition in the lineup, and he had as good a weekend as I can ever remember a Gator having offensively in a regional, let alone playing every day. But take into account, he missed about 27 days because of a broken hand. It was a special, special weekend. It's one of those things you know, you'll remember for a long, long time. So I'm very, very pleased with how we pitched, how we played defense, you know, our approach at the plate, and obviously getting back Pete. So we're, we're looking forward to Super Regional here again at McKeithen, and it should be uh, another electric atmosphere here and should be a lot of fun and we were two wins away from Omaha again and we're going to take it one pitch at a time one game at a time I know that's coach speak but we just got to take our time this week get better in some areas been just going through some notes here and there's some guys we got to get going offensively and um, just a little bit each day and try to get some of these guys who have been struggling a little bit try to get them some extra bats this week and see if we can get them guys going a little bit you're certainly familiar with the, the opponent this weekend Florida State a team that you played three times in midweek games does it change now I know you've got to see their guys a little bit they threw some of their starters midweek they haven't seen your weekend guys but uh, do you throw everything out of what you saw during the regular season because because it's now at this point in the year? No, I don't know if you throw anything out, but the fact of the matter is the games in March don't matter now. I mean, they're a different club. They're swinging the bats very, very well right now. Um, their rotation's different than it was beginning of the year. Yeah, we saw Carlton in Jacksonville. Yeah, we saw Holton here, but those guys have gotten better, and they're offensively, they're swinging the bat as well as they swung it all year long. So are we familiar with them? Yeah, but you know, they are with us as well. And it's not going to be easy. You know, anytime you play in a rivalry game, whether it be a midweek game in March or a super regional series here in June, you got to play your best. You know, everybody's two wins away from getting Omaha and everybody wants to get there in the worst way. And being in this situation as many times as we have at this point, it's really trying to stay the course and not look at this weekend as if we win, we go to Omaha. It's more of a fact that we're playing Florida State and we're playing a rival. And that's where our focus needs to be. It doesn't need to be if we win, we go to Omaha. The 
the focus needs to be we, we got to focus on Florida State and the same way we would have if it was a midweek game in March. And I do like the way we're playing right now. And, I, you know, obviously we know a lot about Florida State, so it should be a fun weekend. You know, you can watch all the film imaginable and you can tell these guys how to pitch and this guy can't hit a, a four-spot fastball or this guy can't turn on a ball inside, different things like that. Is it more so than about the players now executing? Scouting reports are scouting reports. If you're playing 162 game schedule in the big leagues and you've got, you know, very strong tendencies and guys can execute at a high, high level, that's one thing. But at this level, you have one of two choices. Yeah, you know what guys can or can't hit. You know it. You know, you're gone about what he can or can't do or what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. But when it comes right down to brass taxes, at least from my standpoint, I ask our pitchers to do what they're capable of doing. You know, you could take the scout report and punt it. You know, at the end of the day, if you got a guy in the mound that his strength is this and the game's on the line or it's an important part of the game, you have to go with your pitcher's strength because if you go against it and, and you end up losing, I feel like you just put your pitcher in, in a bad position to be successful. Now, there are tendencies, you know, who can run, who can bunt, you know, what counts do they like to run in, what counts do they like to hit and run on, those types of things. You know, a guy can't hit a breaking ball or this guy's a first ball hitter and those types of things. But at the end of the day, execution wins. You know, location wins, and you can throw 95 or you know 88. It don't matter. At the bottom line, is you need to execute, and especially this time of the year. You know, location wins, execution wins, and the team that, that makes the least mistakes. It's really not the, the team that plays the best. Mm-hmm. It's the team that makes the least mistakes. Don't miss signs. You know, get the ball on the ground and hit and run. If you're asked to, to drag or push or sack, that the ball is down, it's done now. It's, you don't get the two strikes and then not have the opportunity to move a runner-up. Um, the ability to make a big pitch at runners in scoring position, the ability to have that one really good at bat with runners in scoring position, those are the things that matter in postseason. It's, it's really about executing and, and not making mistakes rather than trying to play above your head at this point of the year. I wanted to just touch on a couple of guys real quick before I let you go. And, and one was, was Guthrie. You guys win by one run in that UConn game you were talking about and then that hustle play to get the second run, to get to second base and coming around and score. And he looks like he's in a different gear now. And then you, you mentioned Fajardo. And you know, I sit there and I stare in the dugout during the games and he's not sitting down. He, he's up with the teammates when he's on the mound, right behind you yelling and screaming and, and encouraging. So maybe some, some of those emotional leaders are, are becoming up big right now. Well, I think that might have been the best weekend, Dalton had this year and he's had a good, very good year for us but I like the way he swung the bat I like the way he you know he played defense obviously which he always does he was instinctual on the base pass he played with emotion and you know you're right I mean Alex I love Alex Fajardo you know he's very talented but he's still got that boy in him that winning is the most important thing and obviously he's got big days ahead of him he's got a, a long long career and he's gonna play professional baseball but there's a sense that the game is not a business to him it, it's really really about winning games for the gators i think his teammates really feed off of that and he's totally invested and i, I you know i i really appreciate that in him and he's always by me in the dugout he's always rooting on his teammates he's always into the game and he's just really good he just he, he just does everything he can to help win games and from my standpoint you know i really appreciate that and there's a reason why the the guys play really good behind him because I think they know that his heart's invested in every pitch that he throws. It could potentially be just two games left for, for the crowd to come support this team. So uh, I'm sure you're going to ask them, and you know we'll, we'll hype it up all week to get these guys out here because uh, it, it's such a big, important part of the game. Well, it is, and I, you know, we played in some difficult places this year, and it does make a difference. And you know, we we played some times this year where McKeithen's been rocking, and it's made a huge difference for us. And we've had a, a really good home record, and I would anticipate with this being Florida. State 
state coming into town that this place would be really, really exciting. I remember last year we played in the Super, and it was a, um, an unbelievable atmosphere. It was very, very exciting. Our players loved it. They fed off it. They still talk about it. You know, so I looked at the weather, at least knock on wood right now. Um, it looks great for this weekend, and we got two night games on Saturday, Sunday. Start at 6, and obviously, you know, the third game, if necessary, is, is to be determined. But um, it's Florida, Florida State, and I think this place is going to be hopping, and it's going to be a lot of fun. The Florida track and field team is currently in Eugene, Oregon, competing in the NCAA Outdoor Championships, and as always, they're a threat to bring home a national championship. Mike Holloway has built a powerhouse program that continues churning out both NCAA champions and Olympians, but that doesn't mean there aren't bumps along the way. After a disappointing performance at the SEC Championship meet, we asked Coach Holloway what they learned from the experience. It's an athletics contest, and those things happen. And so the thing I did went, after the meet, I went back, and the first thing I tried to identify is what maybe I did wrong in training, what maybe I did wrong in my approach to the meet, because they're going to feed off of my energy and my focus. So, so basically what I learned was is that I'm human, and that they're human, and you know, we, we have bad days. We had, we had a couple bad days, but we rebounded well. We just got back to being who we are. That's all we did. Two weeks after SECs, you had the NCAA prelims. Mm -hmm. Much better performance. What did you take away from that? That we are who I thought we were. You know, we're, we're a pretty talented group of athletes, and, uh, you know, that we have a chance to, to do some special things in Eugene. I think the biggest thing, again, is just taking it day by day. You know, not putting high expectations on ourselves. I think in this world of social media and, you know, seeing what your friends are doing and tweeting and Facebook and all that stuff, you have to kind of just get in your own little bubble and just do what you do. And I think sometimes some of our athletes spend too much time trying to outperform their friends or their competitors or even out to try to perform what they've done in the past. Just take care of the day. On top of just the challenges of competing in national championships, what are some of the challenges in going all the way across the country and taking such a big team to Eugene to try and accomplish that? It's, you know, it's travel. You know, we've won in Eugene before. You know, I'm not buying into the thing that we can't perform there and we can't beat them because they're at home. You know, first of all, you have to give credit to Oregon. You know, they, they do an incredible job hosting the competition, and then on top of that, they've done an incredible job of recruiting and coaching some of the best athletes in the world. So um, what we have to do is be at our best. We have to go out there and take care of Florida. I can't tell you what Arkansas or LSU or A&M or Oregon and any other schools are doing. That's none of my concern. I have to take care of Florida, make sure that we're prepared, and when, at the end of the day, we'll let the computer keep the score. When you have Olympic trials in the same place as NCAA championships, how much of an advantage is that to your athletes to be able to kind of do that in advance before they go back and have another competition? Well, I think anytime you have a familiarity with an area, you know, with the hotels, with the, the track, with the warm-up situation, it's always a good thing. But at the end of the day, you better be fit. You better be mentally focused. It doesn't matter. But um, it's a track. And, you know, the Olympic trials is one of those, those meets if you put it in the middle of a highway, people are going to run fast. So... It's just about being mentally and physically prepared and going out and putting your best foot forward and trusting who you are. How difficult are these years? Because you obviously have the Olympics every four years. To have that back-to-back, -back, essentially, with NCAA championships, so much pressure, so taxing at the end of a long season. How do you help your athletes get through that? Well, the first thing we talk about is pressure is self-imposed. And so the only pressure you should feel is anything you put on yourself. And as far as the, the taxing part of the season, you know, these are athletes that when they were in high school and junior high school, they start running in February and they would run until August or September. So it's just a mindset. It's just a matter of managing their training properly so that their, their bodies feel fresh so they can do well in these situations. But at the end of the day, it's about preparation, both mental and physical, and it's about trusting all those things once you get to the championship race. 
How quickly you turn the page after NCAAs and getting refocused on those Olympic trials? The next morning, <laughs> you know, um, that afternoon, once we you know, once we go through the award ceremony, it's just it's a matter of, you know, I always talk to the athletes about this: is that whatever successes or failures we have in this meet, we have to leave them here because. If you take the successes with you, then it has a to, to kind of pump up your ego. You know, hey, I'm ready. I don't, I don't have to work anymore. If you take your failures with you, then it drains you also because now you're focusing on, on the bad. So we're going to take the good and say, okay, we, had a, we did a good job. We're not going to act, walk around and act like we've made it because the moment you think you've made it, you haven't. You had a chance to coach the Olympic team back in 2012. What did you take away from that, and how did that change you as a coach? Well, I think the, the number one highlight is absolutely that, that, that your country – you know, trust you and believes that you're one of the best coaches in the country to help lead the, the Olympic cause. And I think the other thing is, is just being around all those great athletes. You know, you know, you can always learn those situations. I spend a lot of time at the warm-up track just watching other coaches and athletes and what they do and, you know, trying to figure out you know, how we can get better here. But I think the biggest thing is I learned that I saw a lot of great relationship between coaches and athletes and that the athletes that were at the top of the podium, every one of them, I watched them have great conversations and great interaction with their coaches. You mentioned things that you learned and things you could bring back here. What were some of those aspects that you took away that you were able to implement back in, inside your program? Honestly, the biggest things like I just talked about was trust, the, the great relationship between the coach and the athlete. We've got a pretty good system here, and it's not, by no means it's perfect, so I try not to reinvent the wheel. You know, I never try to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, but I think the biggest thing is, like, you know, as I've always believed, that if you're going to be a successful track and field athlete or an athlete at any sport at any level, there has to be a great level of trust between you and your coach, and I saw a lot of that with the better athletes at the Olympic Games in London. In an Olympic year, how unique is it for you to have so many of your former athletes come back here to train and prepare for that ultimate challenge? That's something that's been going on for a while. Um, you know, there's a familiarity with Gainesville, you know, and um, even the ones that don't train with me, they come back here and they do some of their own training, their base training or whatever here in Gainesville. So, um, you know, why not come back to the place where it all, it all started? You know, so it's not uncommon at all. How does the relationship change when they come back as former athletes who are then preparing for the Olympics? Is the dynamic different at all from when they were in college and you were coaching them? No, I mean, not at all. I mean, you know, we, I feel like I have a great relationship with the majority of my athletes, you know, that, that have left here and that have graduated. We don't call them former Gators. They're always Gators in my mind. You know, they're just, they're just former student athletes here, but they're, they're always Gators, so they're always welcome. And we'll always open up our arms and, and do everything we can to help them do the best they can. There's going to be Gators competing for a lot of different countries at the Olympics, trying to bring home gold. For fans who are watching the Olympics, which Gators do you think have a really good chance to bring home a medal? Who, who should we look out for? To any former Gator that's, that's there, we're going to support them, you know, 100%, 1,000%, and, and hope that they do well. But, you know, obviously you think about guys like, you know, Christian Taylor and Will Clay, you know, they're kind of that marquee's dandy, they're kind of the marquee guys out there right now. But you, know, you got guys got Tony McQuay and Karan Clement who are, are both Olympic medalists. You know, Tony's a silver medalist, Karan's a gold medalist. So on the women's side, people like Noveline, you know, Williams Mills. And uh, so there's it just, the list goes on and on and on. I think at the end of the day, I can't pick just one or two people and say, hey, you better go watch this guy. I'd say watch more. For people who know the program from afar, they hear that Mouse is the coach of the track and field team. How did Mike Holloway become Mouse? My junior high school track coach, Eugene Shellman, um, when I was 12 years old, he said that I kind of scooted across the floor when I ran, and I was a very quiet kid. It's kind of corny, but that's a true story. You know, I'm, I'm almost 57 years old. That stuck with me for 45 years. So, 
Do you like that or do you wish you get away from it 45 years later? It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, the only person that has never called me Mouse, well, but two people, my mother and my father. They, they refuse to do it. My mom's like, your name is Michael and that's what I'm calling you. But my brothers have jokingly called me that sometimes. You know, my wife calls me that sometimes because that's, that's who I was when she met me. And it's just kind of something that's followed me throughout my life. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's just me. I'm Mouse. <laughs> We've spent the last month getting you ready for the Olympics here on Gator Tales, with interviews focused mostly on Gators that will compete for the red, white, and blue. But there truly is a whole other world out there that we haven't even touched. With an eye on the Gators trying to bring home gold to other nations around the globe, here's Shelby Granath. We are about two months away from the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. And so far, seven Florida swimmers have qualified for their respective countries. The first skater to qualify was Eduardo Solache Gomez for Spain. Solache Gomez was a 12-time All-American swimmer for Florida from 2011 to 2015. Eduardo punched his ticket for Rio in the 200-meter individual medley with a time of 1 minute 58.8 seconds, a new Spanish record. Solache Gomez says after not qualifying in 2008 and 2012, he felt pressure heading into trials this year. 2012, I missed it by like a couple tenths of a second. And I was flying from Seattle where I have NCAAs, so I competed the week after. So it was not the best time of doing it, but even though I tried to make it. And yeah, I felt like pressure, not for like anyone outside, but just me. Was, like, I really wanted like made it. It was like a goal for me and just proud of, of all the effort that I did, all the effort that my family and friends put into it and finally made it. Solache Gomez says he's excited for Rio, but at the same time, there are always nerves there as well. I'm nervous not because what's going to happen. I'm nervous because of me getting at the best shape I can be in order to be there. And yeah, of course, I'm excited to, to see how it is to live the experience. But I feel it's really important in the way that it's just the accomplishment of a dream that I had since I was like really young. The next Gator Olympian is current swimmer Jan Swikowski for Poland. Jan is currently a sophomore at Florida and a seven-time All-American. Head coach Greg Troy says Swikowski will be a serious contender for the Polish team in the 200 Butterfly, and he'll have a familiar face coaching him in Rio. He was uh, third at the World Championships last summer in the 200 Butterfly, so he has hopes of, of maybe being on the podium and having a chance to medal. Kind of a unique situation. His dad is the uh, assistant coach for the Polish national team. He'll be at the Olympics working with the 200 freestylers, 200 flyers, and their 800 freestyle relay. We have the potential of having three legs of that 800 freestyle relay, and dad gets to coach his son. So he left home, spent two weeks here right after school was out, got two real good weeks in, and he's at home with the Polish team now preparing for the European Championships. New Zealand's Corey Main was the next skater to make it to the big stage. Main had just two weeks to prepare for the Olympic trials after the 2016 NCAA championships. After not qualifying for the 2012 Olympics in London, Main says the feeling he got when he saw he was going to Rio was relief. I was super excited. Swimming for New Zealand is one of my dreams, and to do it on the Olympic stage is even better. All my work had come together, and yeah, just pure relief, I think. Main says this summer he's most looking forward to representing New Zealand at the highest level. I think just competing for my friends, family, myself and my country is 
just unbelievable. There's definitely a lot of pride and honour that goes in with competing for New Zealand. Even though we're pretty small in size, um, a lot of prestige is, goes along with competing for New Zealand. And I've never been to the Olympics before, so it'll definitely be a big learning curve. Someone who is no stranger to the Olympic Games is Sebastian Russo from South Africa. Russo swam at UF from 2009 to 2014 and was a 14-time All-American. Rio will be Sebastian's third Olympic Games, but this summer will be a little different. This past Olympic trials was the first time I made an individual race, so it was very exciting. The previous two I went for 4 by 2 freestyle relay. So to make it individually was very exciting. I mean, it's it's a different ball game when you're going for the relay and for individual. I mean, the individual just to qualify on your own is pretty special. But then you also have the relay where you're with three other guys, which is a different kind of special. So I'm excited to do both this time. Russo says it's hard to describe what the Olympics are truly like, and it's easy to get caught in the moment. But to succeed, you need to remember why you're there. You know, it's just, it's kind of surreal. You know, you see all these, the top athletes, especially somewhere you go to the, in the village, you go to the dining hall and you see all these people. You see Novak Djokovic, you see Roger Federer, you see all these people and it's just, you kind of realize this is the top of the top. So it is a really special feeling, but at the same time, you don't want to be in awe of them. You know, you kind of want to be there on your own if you want to be there and compete for hopefully a medal. So, you know, it's, it is a very special experience. Another Gator who has previous Olympic experience is Hilda Luther's daughter, who swam at Florida from 2011 to 2014. Hilda qualified for her second Olympic Games for her home country of Iceland. Luther's daughter says she learned a lot from the 2012 Games in London that will help her in Rio this summer. I probably just learned not to take it too seriously, I guess, because I remember when I was younger, especially, I tended to overthink my races, and I was basically, I had already swum my races before I even got in, and I was just completely exhausted, and I just couldn't even swim. So I just thought I've put in all the work I can, like, I can't do anything different now. Like, I'm at the meet. It's not like I can make any changes now. So just put in as much work as you can beforehand, and then the results will come. So I think that just, yeah, helped me realize that I just need to do as much as I can before, and then results will speak for itself, for themselves. Last summer, Luther's daughter made history for Iceland at the World Championships, and she's hoping to keep that going in Rio. I definitely have goals Especially from how I did last summer at Worlds. I made the final at Worlds for the first time, and that was for the first time actually for a female in Iceland. So I would definitely want to repeat that at the Olympics and be the first female for Iceland to get to the finals at the Olympics. That would be amazing, and maybe even go further. The other Gators who have qualified for Rio are Dan Wallace for Great Britain and Mitch Diarigo for Italy. Wallace swam at UF from 2011 to 2015, and Rio will be his first Olympic experience. Diarigo, also a first-time Olympian, is currently a junior at Florida and an 11-time All-American. Florida hopes to add a number of Olympians to the United States team at trials in Omaha at the end of June. For Olympic coverage all summer long, follow at Gators Olympics on Twitter and check out all of the Gator Vision video content on FloridaGators.com. And that's going to do it for today's show. 
We've almost reached the end of this season of Gator Tales, but we certainly hope to bring you a College World Series preview next week if the Gators can get by the Seminoles. Check out the action all weekend long on the ESPN family of networks Saturday and Sunday at 6 with an if necessary game to be played on Monday. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the Mac.